Oh my goodness. There she goes. All right, like just I had mentioned, we got to make sure we know that's happening. Hello, hello, and welcome, everybody. This is Rachel Vogue. This is a Good Girls Guide to podcast, and I am so unbelievably excited that we are in season three, and we have guests coming back. This is just like one of my favorite things about the podcast, because... by everybody else who's been listening to the podcast, letting me know that it's one of their favorite things to hear other people's stories. So uh, if you want to connect with me, then you find the link tree in the bio because you already know, like if you're here, it's because you resonate with something that I said through intimacy, through mental and physical well-being, purpose and passion, spirituality, relationships in general, wealth, something to that effect. So if you find the link tree, you'll find the ways for us to connect through one-to-one sessions and empowerment classes. There's free ways for you to connect with me as well uh, through my consulting partnership with Pure Romance. If you are into that kind of thing as well, they got really great products for that journey. But um, today, the podcast, that's what I want to get into. So, oh my goodness, if you uh, are in season three, and this is not your first time listening, and but is your first time watching, because I've never had that availability in a season, okay, uh, you will know my dear friend Hannah, and she is back. This is, I mean, I don't know if you classify it as the third time. It's like the fourth go around, but it's the third occurrence, I think. So yeah, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to my dear friend, and uh, we're going to catch up with her. And then we've got some really cool stuff to kind of continue building upon because the reason I was able to connect with Hannah, well, I mean, not the reason, but the reason I reached out to Hannah was because uh, as I have humbly recapped that when I took a break from filming the podcast, I really didn't think too much of it. And then I was very gently nudged quite literally by some people who were like, hey, are you going to bring back the podcast? Are you going to bring back the podcast? And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. But then by the end of 2022, if you're familiar with Spotify, they give you these really fun wrap-ups. So they tell you what you've been listening to. And in addition to X Ambassadors, which is my favorite band of all time, uh, we had a lot of, you know, baby shark crap thrown into there in the recap this year. But of course, the best part was that I got a recap on the podcast, which was very humbling because I hadn't even launched a whole new episode the entire year, but it talked to me about um, increased viewers and most importantly, the number one talked about episode, which is still to this day about pegging. <laughs> so naturally, of course, I thought, man, I got to reach out to Hannah and see what she would do an additional podcast. But most importantly, because uh, you've had a lot happen since the last time we did a podcast. So that's what we're going to start with is I'm going to have her give you just a life update. And um, then we'll move into relationship conversation, I think. Yeah. So For sure. Yeah. yeah. Tell them about yourself, girl. <laughs> Yeah. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Hannah. Uh, you can find me in uh, the Good Girls Guide uh, Facebook group. I am Hannah Joy on Facebook. If you feel like following me on TikTok or Instagram, I am Hannah Hannah Joy Joy. Um, and I think the last time we recorded was early 2021. Uh, I think it was later that summer that our last episodes are three parts Shades of Grey. Um, a, a non-specific number of shades of gray <laughs> yeah. uh, episodes came out. Um, and actually, yeah, there was something very new in my life at that time that I did not disclose. It didn't really come up on the podcast, although we did kind of touch on the subject tangentially, um, which was that at that time I was in my uh, first uh, polyamorous relationship of my marriage. Um, and that relationship is still going, uh, and it's, it's very successful for a first one out the gate, uh, sort of thing. Uh, so Rachel very kindly asked me to, um, can I talk about that? Um, she got to 
meet my partner briefly over the summer when I uh, stopped by in Lincoln to pick up a truly ridiculous number of <laughs> bottles of body dew. Uh, <laughs> I think it was like 14 because uh, I moved to Wichita and I, I moved away from my body dew dealer. Mm. So now when I'm in Lincoln and I'm like, hey, girl, stock me up. I got tattoos I need to keep fresh. Um, yeah, so that uh, that's that's kind of the biggest new thing from yeah. well, and just, my life. There's been a lot of learning throughout the course of that relationship. Right. So for your marriage, your legal marriage, mm-hmm. right, with uh, your husband, tell them how long you guys been together and how long you've been married. Yeah. So we have been together for five years. Actually, in like four days is the five-year anniversary of our first date. Um, and we got married in October, 2020, whoop, whoop, pandemic bride, Mm -hmm. uh, zero out of 10 do not recommend. Uh, so we're at a little over two years, um, in our marriage, about five years together total. Um, and then of course, for me personally, I, I've been, you know, as we've talked about before in kind of the kink and BDSM community since I was about 19 and there is a massive, massive overlap of polyamory within that community. And I think part of it is that um, when you are in kinky behavior or you're, you know, you're involved in kinky behavior, I think there is kind of a, because it's not a traditional part of monogamous relationship structures, Mm -hmm. generally speaking, having Play partners is super common outside of even your primary or even sole romantic relationship. So we've talked a lot about different proclivities and the importance of consent and that consent is ongoing. So you you might, it's very common that maybe I like to bottom for something that my top doesn't know how to do. Mm-hmm. So maybe I really like to uh, be flogged, but my partner doesn't know how to throw a flogger or they're not comfortable doing that to me because that action is not inherently sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very common to have that be a, a different person. You know, you have a different play partner. Gotcha. And it's, I've always kind of, compared it to um my husband doesn't drink coffee he doesn't like coffee and so if I want to get a cup of coffee I have a different friend to go out with for that my husband doesn't like musicals so I like when when there's a new live action musical Disney movie I'm gonna grab a different friend and go do that um same thing that there you know there are things that he does that I don't particularly care for he's got friends he can go do that with you know it's And it's kind of just taking that very general philosophy and applying it to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so within the kink community, tons of polyamory, because while it sort of fits into this safe spot in the monogamy structure of like, well, you just, you just play with this person. Even though the act itself is not a sex act, there is often very sexual feelings that come up during that. And it takes such an amount of trust that there is an emotional bond that forms. 
So if you have that emotional bond and you have that trust and you have those sexual feelings, and maybe this is also someone that you're very attracted to, that might develop into romantic feelings. Mm -hmm. And in the context of the kink and BDSM community, I think it is very easy for people to sort of accidentally find themselves in that kind of situation. So I've been very aware of polyamory and open relationships and swinging for really my entire adult life. It was fairly new for my husband, although he had been in a couple of polyamorous situations before in his adult life. Um, It wasn't something that he had been like even associated with the community for a long time the way I had. Um, So that's, that is our sort of path. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So like what you're saying is like, it wasn't necessarily a revelation one day. You're just like, Oh, I want another partner. And and very clichely as other people would view this as somebody wakes up one day says, I want an extra boyfriend, which is not what it is at all. Mm -hmm. And your uh, particular relationship. It was an understanding that it's not an actual relationship that you were after initially. It was just a play partner. Is that what you're saying? Um, in my case, that was definitely, uh, what happened. Um, and it was not, um, in a BDSM Mm -hmm. way. Um, so I did talk with both of my partners and, uh, they gave me some outlines of what they would like me to not talk about, which is mostly the nitty gritty of our sex lives. Sure. sure, Fair. Fair. Um, What I will tell you, though, is my husband is asexual and aromantic, and that is something that he has um, learned about himself since we got together. So at the beginning of our relationship, we did have a pretty typical relationship, you know, lots of kissing, lots of sex, the way you do when it's new, and there's dopamine and oxytocin and everything just feels so good. And once we got past that part of the relationship... Um, he started to kind of realize these things about himself and I am a very sexual person. So it was something that, you know, we had kind of each had our own outside experiences outside of our relationship with polyamory. And it was something where we, you know, we kind of decided, you know, we're, we were engaged at this point. Uh, when we had this discussion and we decided, you know, we, we do still want to get married. We do still love each other and we can have a functional relationship and marriage without sexual intercourse as a part of it. Um, I, me personally, don't really feel like I can have a fulfilled life without sexual intimacy as part of it. So then it becomes, you know, do, do, do I get that elsewhere or do we say, nope, all sexual intimacy has to occur within the bounds of this monogamous relationship, in which case this monogamous relationship will not meet my needs, but everything else was working great. So why would we, you know, kind of throw it all away over something that to both of us is a pretty small piece mm-hmm. of our overall relationship. Um, so <clears throat> that was kind of where it started. It did very much, Initially, my expectation was, I'm busy, I don't have time for a relationship, I would just like, kind of a friend with benefits, essentially. Um, Because I am, you know, I'm a woman in this world, so I'm not going to go to a bar and pick up a dude and 
trust my safety to that stranger. Mm. Um, I listen to far too many true crime podcasts to feel like that's a safe move. Um, and no shade to people who do that. I just, it, it, it trips so many anxiety triggers for me. Um, go into a strange place with a strange person. And I just feel better when there's a certain level of trust in, in that relationship before I engage in sex with a person. Um, it's, it's probably a shade of demisexuality for me, mm. uh, that I just need to feel a certain amount of emotional entanglement, I guess. And I have always been someone who feels like you can have sex with your friends. That's fine. Interesting. Like that, that does not have to be a thing that is restricted to romantic relationships. So I've had several friends with benefits partners during times in my life when I was single. Um, and it, it tends to work out really well. I, in retrospect, having now been diagnosed and in therapy and medicated, that is a pretty strong component of my neurodivergence. Uh, it's very easy for me to just draw a line and that's how my brain thinks about something from now on. So for me, sex is decoupled from romantic intention. And that is a big, big hurdle for a lot of people to get past. So I will say, I probably came into this with one years of exposure to the concept of it. So like in one of our earlier episodes, we talked about the step between um, being ostracized and being accepted is being rationalized. And so for me, my rationalization step was I just saw it functioning around me all the time. And yeah, I saw messy breakups. I saw people leave a group. I saw marriages get destroyed, but you know what? I see that in my monogamous friends as well. Exactly. So it became very, very normalized for me. So I have that. And then I also have this element of my neurodivergence that just, I, I think there, I think I do have a predisposition that makes some of the deprogramming that you have to do with polyamory work a little bit more easily for me. So if I do sound flippant about any of this, it it is, it's not effortless for me, but I think I do come to it with a little bit of an advantage that, that a lot of people don't. Sure. Um, so, yeah. So I, I intended originally to just seek out a friends with benefits. And then I just fell head over heels in love with this man. Um, And I was fortunate enough that, you know, he fell head over heels in love with me. Um, And there's still plenty of benefits in the relationship, really excellent benefits. Um, And it's been a year and a half and we are still going strong. And I would say probably every couple of weeks we have a a moment that we have to work through intentionally, but the philosophy is essentially love without limits. So it, it doesn't make me love my husband less that I love my partner as much as I do. Um, in the same way that it doesn't make anybody love their first child less when they have a second child. It, you know, it's a flame. Mm -hmm. It's not something that is going to get smaller by spreading it around. Um, scheduling wise, you gotta be a little more careful. (laughs) 
because time is very finite, but love is, is not. So that's kind of the underpinning of the whole philosophy of our relationship dynamic. And there are several different versions of ENM, which is um, of ethical non-monogamy. Would you be surprised to hear it's a spectrum? <laughs> no, not at all, but that's, I think it should be. It's beautiful that way. Yeah. So there are like a lot of things that fall under ethical non-monogamy. Um, so like swinging, which is literally just both partners have another partner and key parties, things like that. Yeah. Um, there is an open relationship model. Um, there are different versions of it where, you know, some have rules and structures that are, you know, um, you can only date people that I approve of. There are circumstances where each person has their own relationships. There are circumstances where it's, uh, three or more people all in the same relationship. They're, they're in like a triad. There are all kinds of different ways that it can look. Um, and what we practice is something called, um, relationship anarchy, which sounds way more metal than it really is. Essentially, there is no one relationship that's more important than any of the others. Um, so in, in, in my heart and in my mind, um, my husband and my partner are very much in equal standing. I don't say that like, oh, well, my husband's needs always have to come first because he's my husband. There are some um, kind of structural barriers that, that are in place. You know, um, my husband is my legal husband, which means that I can't, um, you know, I can't cover my partner on my health insurance. That's, that's not an option because he can't be my spouse too. Right. I would love it if he could be, but he can't yet. Um, so there are some structural things, you know, like I, I bought a house with my husband. That's, that is in place. I have that connection to him utterly regardless of our relationship, but I would still have that connection with him if we got divorced. Like that, that is something that really kind of, um, transcends the relationship itself. It's a structure that we put in place. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't live with my partner if I could. It just means that I live with my, my husband. Um, and my partner also is married. So there are some additional structural elements on that side as well. But what we try to really break down is prescriptive boundaries. Um, so there are the descriptive boundaries that like just sort of exist mm. because it's part of life. And then there are the prescriptive boundaries, which is what's prescribed for us by society. It's the mononormativity, the heteronormativity of it. Right. And that is something that is very, very hard to deprogram and to rationalize um, for a lot of people because it's, it's, you can't see the water that you're swimming in mm. everything in our society. And this is kind of how we touched on it in a last episode. Everything in our society is built around the assumption of marriage as an institution in the last 15, 20 years, we have seen that change from marriage as a one man, one woman institution. We have watched that breakdown. 
We have watched people have absolute meltdowns saying this can never work. There is no way that the the system is designed for one man, one woman. The forms say bride and groom. Okay, well, you know what? Now the forms say spouse and spouse. Mm-hmm. Those have gotten broken down on a social level. We are not yet at a point where it says spouse and spouse and spouse. Right. I would like to get there. We are not there. But there are so many things that we, we genuinely we don't think about. Things come in sets of two. When you buy a set of serviceware for your home, you can buy an eight piece or a 12 piece. Why? Because you and your spouse invite over three other couples for dinner. So you have an eight piece dining set. Mm -hmm. Everything is based around it, around a two person marriage. And so it is very, very difficult for a lot of people to rationalize it because they've been taught that possessiveness and jealousy are good things. Those are loving traits. If I'm jealous of you, it's because I love you and I want to make sure that I keep you to myself. Mm -hmm. That is held up as the norm. If, if you've got a group of girls talking about, Oh, I don't let my man hang out with his girlfriends or whatever. If you're the one who says, yeah, I don't really care. I trust him. You're the weirdo. Like you're the one who, you know, it's, it's just a very, it's what I call toxic monogamy. Yeah. And it is this idea that, um, the things that are, if you really probe at them and see why someone might feel that way, they become very problematic. If you feel possessive, over your partner, especially if a male partner feels possessive over their female partner. A non-zero part of that possessive feeling comes from the fact that men are socialized, that if they do the good things and they are the right kind of person, they're rewarded with a woman. Like, The prince slays the dragon, and then he gets a princess. Right. You go to college, you get a good job, you buy a house, the government will issue you a beautiful wife. Mm -hmm. And that wife will never stray because she belongs to you. Like, that is really where it comes from, from this idea of literal human ownership. Yeah. And if you dig into that, that's really not a good thing. That should not be how a person feels about anybody else. If you take the romance off of that if you take those rose-colored glasses off and you start saying things about your friend that way that's how stalkers write letters to actors if i can't have you no one can right like that it's not healthy and because we say no this is part of a romantic endeavor we're taught that that is healthy that that is normal and so that's that's kind of a prescriptive barrier. It's the stuff that is prescribed for us. It is taught to us. And that, I think, is the hardest part for, for a lot of people who are either new to polyamory or are not even involved, are just looking at it from the outside going, ooh, that's weird. Yeah. Well, because what you had said is that, you know, it's taught to us as the, the normalcy. And I think 
That is true, but one of the things that I always like to tell people and reiterate in any instance that's unavailable as a, an example is like, it's not actually that it's normal. It's that it's common. And that's the difference is that because again, it's the, the most common thing that you saw all the time. That's what your brain derives as quote unquote normal, but normal is anything that we want to be doing as long as we're safe and consenting. But we just again, group majority as what mm-hmm. is then normal. And it's, not true and then just as an example about what you were saying too you know like you probably might be i mean you might be able to relate to this when i was growing up the divorce rate was becoming fairly new like it it was happening more and more frequently uh it was it was still it wasn't as it wasn't like taboo like people you know you would never get married again kind of feeling but it was definitely like i can't believe they got divorced i can't believe that happened kind of instance and so many more single mothers that I witnessed growing up, I don't know why, maybe because I'm a woman, but I don't really recall many single dads nearly as much as I had witnessed single mothers. But again, it's just another prime example that becomes more of our cultural commonality, which we then mm-hmm. deem as normal. There's still a lot of stigma be- behind being a single mother, but the shift is happening where it's more mm-hmm. acceptable. People people know that not all women are on state assistance just because they have children without a, a husband and a part, all of that. But also then all of that conversation deconstructing from what you were just talking about again, because women get nothing. They never had anything. Mm-hmm. They had to get permission to get a divorce, let alone a credit card and so on and so forth. So we're coming out of that deprogramming just in that same mark. And the only reason I wanted to bring that up is because what you said was just so poignant and so truthful because it is that way. I say this to my clients and at parties often that in five to 10 years, I don't think we'll have sexuality. I think that the rule will become that you're attracted to who you're attracted to. It, it, there is no bi, there is no pan, there is no hetero anymore, but it's going to take a long time and we have to get really comfortable with just being attracted to a soul and not a body part. And it's going to take some time around that. But it's the same philosophy is that your thing is now the new single mom thing. Does that make sense? Right. In uh-huh. terms of it's been around for friggin' ever, but we're just now talking about it in normal conversations or I should say everyday conversations because it can be a normal. It should be a normal as long as you're safe and consenting and everybody is agreed to and is happy. Uh-huh. It's that simple. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. And it, I think it's there's um, there's always a, a, a lag. There's like a tipping point right. where as a society we're going to move a lot more slowly because, well, because not everybody agrees. And at a certain point, you just kind of like pull more and more people over until you have, you know, a majority and then you pass laws and then, you know, it's, it's the law of the land. Right. And that was something that we saw with gay marriage. something that we saw with um, legalization of marijuana, decriminalization of marijuana, depending on what state you're in. Yeah. Um, it's something that we see where it is. it happens state by state. Gay marriage was legal in, I think, one form or another in 19 states before the Supreme Court decision. Mm-hmm. I think marijuana is legal in one form or another in like 30-some states. I mean, and with the 2018 Farm Bill, you can get Delta 8 THC anywhere. Right. So it... There's still a ton of people, though, who are very, very anti-marijuana. You know what? There are still people in the world who are very anti-interracial relationships. Yes. That was something that had to be broken down 
Because it used to be that marriage was not just one man, one woman. It was one man, the same color as one woman. Mm -hmm. And that was the only way you could get married. That got broken down. And so there's, there's this much slower move of the society as a whole and certainly of the, um, the public institutions that come along behind it. So a lot of the people, I'm out to almost everybody I know. And the people that I'm not out to, it's literally because it just hasn't come up. Um, everybody at work is aware. Um, my friends are aware. Um, my partner came to me with, came, wait, sorry. My partner came with me to the 4th of July this year and met my whole family. Um, so I'm as out as I really can be. And... So within my social circle, it's not even a question. It's not even an issue. I don't get a race diagram. Mm -hmm. I still can't marry my partner because I'm married to my husband and he's married to someone else, you know, or my partner's married to someone else. Okay. There are too many pronouns here now. Sorry. Okay. I'm just going to say my husband's name is Anthony. My partner's name is Ray. Yeah. There we go. So Anthony and Ray. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I'm married to Anthony, and because of that, I can't marry Ray. Also, Ray's married to someone else, so he can't marry me. Right. So there are these structural things in place that still exist because it takes longer for society as a whole to move forward than it does for any one person, which is good because it prevents truly extremist views from taking over majority, uh, majority voice. So that is a good thing um, in the long run. In the short term, though, it does mean that you've got this kind of weird middle ground where I'm doing something with my life and my marriage that is, on a social level, really still quite taboo. Right. Um, I was actually asked by my family to not say anything to not family at the 4th of July. And I was like, okay, yeah, I can, I can do that. I can respect that. I'm not going to be, you know, I was basically asked to not be, I I was the kid who was told like, it's okay that you're gay. Just don't make a big deal out of it. Like, just don't tell people it's fine. It's okay. Bring your boyfriend. Just don't tell anybody that that's who he is. So that's what, that's what we did. Now I will say. Some neighbors of my parents who have absolutely met my husband were there. I have no idea what they thought. They probably assumed that either they slightly forgot what my husband looked like because one fun thing about polyamory is if you have a type, it becomes very (laughs) quickly apparent. Uh, (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. So they look a little bit alike. In, in very um, superficial ways. You know, they both have dark hair and a beard. They're both about the same height. So maybe the neighbors just thought maybe they forgot what Anthony looks like. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just assumed that I had gotten divorced and this was my second husband. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't care is <laughs> the thing. Because, like, one thing that I have learned is that, by and large, most people could not give less of a shit. Yeah, I would agree. Like, as long as you are leaving them alone 
most people just do not care. Yeah. And they don't want to know. They don't want you to tell them. So mostly I just get to live my life, which is really great. Yeah. Yeah, it is really great. Do you feel like that's a sense of privilege that not all people have, though, in the... Yeah. In the culture? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, some of it... So I mentioned, I mentioned previously I have a huge amount of privilege. Um, one of those privileges is that I, I was headhunted for the job I currently have. And I didn't need that job. So I felt like I I already had a job. I was, I was poached is what happened. Mm -hmm. A former coworker was like, Hey, leave this company and come work for the one I work for now. And I was like, okay. So when I um, met my CEO, I, I told her, all right. Um, you know, I, here's my neurodivergence. I have ADHD. Um, I'm working on it, but like, you cannot expect me to work a straight eight hour work day. I'll give you eight hours a day. I can't promise you what time they're going to be at. If you call me, I'm going to answer the phone. Like that's kind of the, the vibe. And then I also told her, you know, like, I don't want to enter into this feeling like I have anything I need to keep secret. So also I'm polyamorous. Um, I'm married. I have a partner. We just bought a house. Uh, that's what you should know about me. Cause I just didn't want to have to keep it a secret. So I was really lucky that I had that opportunity. Um, I think most people's bosses do not care. Right. They don't care about your relationship status, but because I was in that circumstance, I basically just said, you know what? I want to start this off not worrying. Um, because very early in my relationship with Ray, we got a temp worker at my office and her desk was immediately across the hallway from mine. And, um, I found out a few weeks after she started that she was the girlfriend of Ray's next door neighbor. (laughs) And so suddenly I was just like terrified every time I was at work, like, Oh, I have to be very, I have to not like, Oh, you cannot, come pick me up when we go to lunch. Like I need to come meet you. It just got very, it it was very uncomfortable. I felt like I was hiding and like, I was mostly like I was about to get caught at any second. I didn't like that. So I just, I had this opportunity and I said, you know what? I'm out to everybody else in my life. I want to be out at work and this is what it is. Mm. And it's gone fine. Cause again, no one cares, but it just lets me feel more comfortable. And, you know, one of the things that I try to be is very authentic. And part of that is because I have no filter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a filter, but I try to use as little of it as a time, as little of it at a time as I have, as I can. Cause I would just rather speak my mind. Mm. I resonate with that. (laughs) A lot of times. So like in my zoom background, I have these art pieces. Um, when I am here, I'm at home right now. These are my husband's. Um, this is my husband's art. Um, they're his prints. He, he drew them. I got them printed and framed and they're in the background. I sometimes work at Ray's house. And in the background there is a giant gold piano plate. And it, he, he's a piano technician. He repairs and restores antique pianos and player pianos. And that is the decoration in his house. And so it is very common when I am on a Zoom call with somebody at work 
they will ask me either about the moose or what the heck is that thing on the wall behind you? And because I'm out at work, I can say, oh, this is uh, my husband. My husband's an artist. This is his work. Or, oh, I'm at my partner Ray's house. He's a piano technician. And that, that's that's what the inside of a piano looks like. Bet you didn't know that, huh? Mm. And so I get to be just completely myself yeah. in those moments, which, I don't know, makes me feel better about the moments when I would like to cuss at somebody. And instead I say, sure, I'll get right on that. Yeah. Yeah, well, and what I like, what I'm resonating with is like, you know, when we're talking about this level of privilege to, it's just to exist, right? And we both know, like, especially with what the conversation we were having earlier between being a woman or being a person of color, a minority, or somebody that isn't, uh, you know, it's differently abled, any of those kinds of things, they don't, they don't get to just purely exist. There are obstacles and barriers to them simply just being here, and. I think that your story is a very beautiful one to be able to say, not only do you get to talk about it with such confidence and ease, but it is your true authenticity. And that is when people shine the brightest, when they can literally, you're just comfortable being you. And there's a difference between you being comfortable being you versus being accepted societally being comfortable. Mm-hmm. Does that make, you know, and those, those are two different things. And to be able to have both of those things, yeah. everybody deserves it. But we have to be talking about it. It is a fine line. Here's what I, my, my, here's my squirrel moment where I'm going on that. It's like, it's a fine line because it needs to be talked about because those are the things that start to tip over the other people who are on the fence about like, I don't know if I can accept this. It seems really kind of out of my norm. Right. If you were to see a complete stranger who you'd never met, you don't know their story. It's easy for you to put a barrier between that and the understanding that perspective. But if it's somebody that you know, love and work with, and whether you knew about them before or later down the road after you were already invested, which doesn't make a difference, it's the same kind of concept is that, oh, but my dear friend Hannah is in polyamory and she's answered all my questions and I feel safe about that. I'm not threatened by what her situation is. So Derek down the street, who's in a triad with two dudes, that's pretty cool. I should see if they want to have a barbecue, you know, like that's what Uh it is. But at the same time, that triad down the street isn't living as easily as Hannah because it's three dudes and homosexuality still has so many complexities around in terms of acceptance and social views and so on and so forth. So it's, it, that's the line that I'm talking about, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is, like, I, I think I've said it on every episode we've had. I am a 30-something, college-educated, middle-class white woman. Right. Same. Cis woman. White cis woman. Yeah, I same. I missed, a, I missed a privilege flavor in there. So, like, I, I have a lot of privilege already, or I guess maybe here's a better way to say it. I have so much less stacked against me than other people. I can afford to let people see my polyamory block. Yes. Because it's not on top of person of color. uh, Well, I am queer, but it's very much. I'm in a relationship with two men. And trust me, I feel really bad about it sometimes. (laughs) I definitely have moments. I love them both. They're wonderful, wonderful men. They are examples of what I wish every straight white man in the world would be. And still there are times where I'm just like, oh, am I gay enough? I feel, I need a girlfriend. Anyway, I adore them. Um, But yeah, I mean, like I, I can have just like my little polyamory block right there. It's not stacked on top of person of color, undereducated, underemployed, impoverished. I don't have those things stacked against me. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. I'll walk around showing everybody my little polyamory block 
So that then when somebody who does already have everything stacked against them, that, that little block, they see it's just one little block. It actually doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal for me. It's not that big of a deal for them. And if you have baggage to unpack with them, it's not about the polyamory. Mm-hmm. It's about all the other things about them that you have othered. Yes. So I, yeah. Yes, that was a really good way to say it. For sure. Yeah, and circling back to, because you had mentioned this before too, is that uh, first of all, I really, really enjoy the state, the... I don't even know what I am having a brain fart. Just the term, there it is, ethical non-monogamy. Because, yeah. again, that's part of that dissection is that you people hear anything about not anything that's not monogamous. They hear it and they make associations like that. It's dirty. It's cheating. It's unethical, as you'd stated here, mm-hmm. too, right? It's a perfect example because cheating is such a slightly acceptable form of monogamy right totally yeah so and i just saw this non-monogamy is way more culturally accepted than ethical non-monogamy yeah and i saw this really powerful tiktok the other day where it was like somebody i think this girl had read a book about uh, why people cheat basically and it was like you know there's such a divided line between some people who are like i would never accept a partner back who's cheated versus people who are like you know, let's just take this case by case and see how it goes, which in the personal development world for me, number two is the answer. Because if you are in personal development, you know that cheating 99.9% of the time has nothing to do with you. It has to do with an intrinsic something within that person, usually around value or worth or whatever. It's their problem. And so if you do love your person and if you can see your person in their full view, then you know that is a hurting person. It's not really different than like, let's say, embezzling from your uh your employer not everybody would say that that's like a total like deal breaker in a relationship right they might be able to say we can come back from this let's like get therapy let's get help whatever whatever do your time all that kind of stuff and people view cheating as that as the same same way or they should in my opinion because that is the truth behind it but there is so much stigma behind it and conversation that's really not even drawing on the right conversation, in my opinion, when we're discussing when people uh-huh. leave and people stay and so on and so forth. But yes, like I got to come back to a different squirrel moment from what you had said earlier. It's like when you talked about like my girlfriends who would go to a musical with me, I've got friends for that because neither of my partners are involved. I was like, yes, that makes so much sense because like instead of getting resentful at your partner for not doing A, B, and C, you know, it's like collectively filling your cup up with not just intimate relationships, but relationships that are fulfilling to you that also have the same hobbies that you like and so on and so forth. Because there is such like... um, I don't know, I get another view or a lot of pressure for people that your partner should complete you. That's another view that we're given Uh or that you will feel complete when you're in a committed relationship, especially women, they get that idea. And it's just something that you need to be able to detox from because you are complete by yourself. And that is why I believe you have such confidence to be in a relationship that is open like it is because you, you know, that, you know, that with Andrew and with, with Ray, they're just compliments. They're just building on this experience that you already have. And for them to be able to be confident in their own light, be like, yes, I can give that strength to my partner. And she only benefits from that and is going to be beautiful and strengthful in her other relationship. That's where it just is like, it's the community aspect that we've been missing in the nuclear family for so long. Yeah. And that community piece is, for me, a really important part of it. Um, so both Anthony and I and Ray and his wife are childless by choice. None of us have kids. None of us have plans to have kids. So 
we are a family together and it lets us decide who's part of our family. So we talk about our chosen family a lot and it is very, I don't know. It's, it's very wholesome. Like people tend to hear it, tend to hear about polyamory and assume Mm -hmm. that it's all about the sex and, and, or that, it's just a front because one or both of these marriages is actively failing. And people do tend to assume that I'm just sort of openly cheating on Anthony and soon Ray and I will each divorce our partners and we'll get married to each other. And that's not the plan. Um, And I would say actually both of our marriages are a hundred times stronger than they were a year and a half ago when we got together. And a big, big part of that is therapy. Yeah. Um, because one of the things about, okay, so a, a really common, um, I guess, topic or style of TikTok that I've seen a lot recently is the POV of someone coming out of a toxic relationship and entering a positive relationship. And it is, you know, one person forgets their keys. And actually the one that I saw most recently is a woman forgets her keys inside the house. She gets locked out and she finally gets let back in by the super And her boyfriend's inside. And he's like, what's going on? She was like, I left my keys inside. And he was like, I've been here the whole time. Why didn't you call me? Did you forget your phone? She's like, no, I just, I, you know, it was my fault. I needed to deal with it. Um, I didn't want to bother you. And he was like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, I knew you'd be mad. Like, cause I, I needed to, I made the problem. So I need to fix it. And he was like, no, no, that's damage. Let's unpack that. That's not how a loving partner behaves. You're human. You make mistakes call me. Of course, I'll let you in the house. I'm not going to leave you outside to figure it out for yourself. That's insane. Yeah. And that is a sort of like a a contextual realization. She thought that was normal because it was what she had always lived. Right. She was in a different relationship and saw, oh, hang on a second. That wasn't actually healthy. In my household, Anthony and I, and Ray and his wife, we get that. But we still, we, we get that moment of Ray and I being together and being like, oh, that's actually, like, I felt so fulfilled when you did that for me. Like, oh, you grabbed the mail on your way in to visit me at home? That's so kind. Why would you do that? And the answer is, well, because it was freaking there. Why wouldn't I? Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. And it never occurred to me how touching that could be. Hey, babe, this is something I've just learned about myself. This is a very simple act of service that's really, really meaningful to me. And similarly, you know, he gets to go, and, and, it, and it's not about like, it, the way I say that, it makes it sound like, why can't you be more like Ray? And that's absolutely not what it is. I didn't, I didn't hear it like that. It is, it is more that like, in being a different form of fulfillment for each other, Ray and I are each learning about ourselves. Right. What it is that that really drives us and fulfills us. And then we're able to take that back to our 
other relationships and kind of spread that knowledge and spread that wealth. And likewise, both of our partners are able to say, hey, here is something that, um, you know, that makes me feel fulfilled. Like they, they are learning that that's something that they get to do. Everybody gets to voice that. Everybody gets to say, hey, here's something that really meet a need for me that either isn't being fulfilled or that like, I literally just found out it was there. It's never been fulfilled until this moment. And it makes me so happy. And it can be very little things. Like I recently learned, I love forehead kisses. (laughs) I've never really dated hall partners. Um, but both Anthony and Ray are over six foot and I'm kind of a shorty. Um, I don't know, five, four, five, five, somewhere in there. I think it's actually the actual average yes. for adult women. Thank you. But I'm kind of a shorty compared to them. Anthony's not really much of a forehead kisser. Ray is. And I have learned that the fact that he doesn't have to move his face, he can just like kiss my forehead. I just, I feel so safe. And I just like, I turn into like a little star eyed anime girl. Cause it's just, it just feels so lovely. And I'd never known that about myself before. Cause it had just never come up. Yes. So now that's a thing that I know about myself and I, I can share that with other people in my life that, Hey, this is a thing that makes me feel really safe and comforted and loved. And you can do this if that's a thing that you'd like to send that message for me. And yeah. yes, I learned it from my other romantic partner. But that doesn't change that it would also be meaningful coming from this romantic partner. Correct. And it also doesn't mean that my partner was lacking because I didn't know it five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So how I didn't have an expectation that my partner did. So I yeah. get what you're saying. It, it, again, it just yeah. is the same philosophy of, you know, like if you learn knitting from your friends and never from your parents. If um, your brother taught you to cook and your parents never did or whatever. It's the same philosophy of building again on that community because that brainwashed notion of nuclear family is hyper independence and if i'm asking for help and there's something wrong with me versus if we were all really collectively smart we would only buy one lawnmower and you'd mow your lawn on monday and i'd mow it on tuesday and you'd mow it on you know that kind of philosophy Uh again coming down to that understanding and again richness in relationships but just in awareness because again i really like the fact that you and anthony simply did not know that you liked forehead kisses because it just had never crossed your mind it's that i think about that when my husband and we'll do something and I'll be like, I feel like a jackass. In the 10 years we've been together, I've never done anything like that for him or never asked him for anything like that. But he just thinks differently than I do. And I know that Uh he appreciates something like the way I write sticky notes and put them all over the house for the kids and for him because that's my, my love language is the gift of writing. And he just is the gift of compassionate thinking. It's just different. It's not wrong. It's just different. It's make me less than a partner because I don't remember to text him every time I come home and say, do you need something in the same way that he does? <laughs> it's just different. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And that, so you just said something that has become very much our just like neurodivergent calling card. Um, so I, I'm not going to get deep into the weeds on this. Um, I mentioned that in the last year and a half, Ray and I, like, we have at least every week or two a moment that, like, we really have to stop and do some emotional labor. Right. The majority of that, not all of it, but the majority of it is that among all of us, Anthony has um, dysthymia, which is persistent low-grade depression without specific cause. Mm. I am ADHD. 
raise ADHD and OCD. <laughs> and his wife um, was diagnosed last year with borderline personality disorder, mm. which is a rough one. Um, it, yeah, there have been some, I, I will just say, severe moments of challenge. And the fact the the fact that she has never inpatient treatment has never been required for her to date and that is absolutely only because she's been in therapy for years he's been in therapy i'm in therapy anthony's medicated like the only reason inpatient care hasn't been required is that we are all very, very highly resourced when it comes to mental health. Mm -hmm. We come to the table with a shitload of tools. And the only reason that is relevant specifically to the BPD diagnosis is that that is a very challenging illness for someone who is in a polyamory relationship because one of the biggest symptoms is fear of abandonment and how much greater a fear of abandonment can you have than watching your spouse fall in love with somebody else? Right. So I, I, I will say this polyamory is hard in general. Ethical non-monogamy is difficult because we are all so deeply programmed to believe in monogamy and to see only monogamy and to see everything that isn't monogamy as wrong. And we see that to the point that really toxic monogamous behaviors like cheating are seen as more socially acceptable, more ethical, because at least you're trying to pretend you're monogamous than just saying like, Hey, I can actually love more than one person at once. And I have two or more romantic partners. Right. Right. That is the level of mononormativity that we see in the world. Um, polyamory will ruin Hallmark Christmas movies. By the, like any rom-com, you're just like, mm, you could just be polyamorous and this would be a problem. <laughs> yeah. like, you'd have different problems, but this wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. So polyamory is very, very difficult because there's so much mental deprogramming that you have to do. And even as you do that deprogramming, there are moments where you are just like run through the heart because you're feeling the senses of jealousy, betrayal, abandonment, whatever, that society that you're upbringing, your programming right. has told you you should feel. Right. So like part of the deprogramming is not just I'm willing to give this a go. It's like at every stage, shit keeps coming up. And you're just like, wait, I thought I was over this. Mm -hmm. Hang on a minute. Let me go through this. Let me sit with this. Let me think about this. Talk to my therapist, whatever it is. And so for us, our journey has been relatively smooth on the polyamory side because we all come into it so highly resourced. And then we're going to add a BPD patient into that, which is a whole separate level of challenge specifically as it intersects with polyamory because of that fear of abandonment. Yeah. So for Ray's wife, that is a, con that is a daily battle for her. It is a 
a literal daily process for her to learn as, you know, Ray and I learn fulfillment from each other. Some of what he takes back to his relationship with her is learning how he can be better supportive of her learning how he can balance my needs as his partner with her needs as both his partner and a a, a mental health patient of this specific type. Yeah. Because that's very different from just two, anyone. Yeah. Two partners, just two partners. Two, two neurotypical partners. Mm -hmm. Um, so for him, it's, it's a lot of taking back, um, I guess, agency of saying like, Hey, we've been together for a long time. And some of these behaviors that I do, my girlfriend has just pointed out might not be healthy. And mm-hmm. now we move forward with that. And that's certainly not to give myself credit. I mean, they would no, be fine yeah, with but or without me. But, but it's but again, it's just drawing that on thing it. Where, like you see, again, you, you, you can't see the water you're swimming in. Yeah. So it, it, in some ways for the four of us has, cause our, our, I think Ray's been with his wife for about six years is the length of the relationship. So pretty, pretty similar in relationship maturity. Right. And so we all were at a point of like, yeah, we've lived together for a long time. This is our day to day. This is our person. And suddenly there's another person where it's like, oh, that's right. Not all people are the same. Yeah. And so that mental health element of it and the therapy and having tools is so important for anyone, both on the polyamory side and just on the personal side, because there are, I mean, I genuinely don't know what the last year and a half would have been like if, if Ray's wife hadn't gotten the diagnosis when she did. Like if she didn't know why she was feeling or thinking or behaving certain ways, right? would we have all been able to get through it? I don't know. I genuinely don't think we would be in the same place we are. I don't know if it would have been better or worse, but it would definitely be different. And so knowing ourselves has been beyond critical because you have to be able to say, Looking into myself, here are the things that I'm feeling. This is why I'm feeling them. And this is what I need to feel safe. And then what you're negotiating with your partner is not, hey, you fix the bad feelings that I have, right? Because that's the easy thing to do, right? I see that my partner has a text from a girl. We have to take a break. Oh, do we? Oh, <laughs> we had to take a, We knew we were going to get into a part two, but we have yeah. 60 seconds left on this recording. So, yeah. Yeah. So, t- yeah, take a mental note to where you're at. And uh, for those of you who are okay. watching and listening, you're going to have to just wait for part two. We knew this would happen. This is why we budgeted the time. Oops. So, yeah. So, pin in the hat. We're coming right back to finish this conversation. Make sure that you, if you haven't already subscribed, so that you can follow along for this part two to release. And we'll be right back with Hannah. 